Well, welcome again to First Methodist Mansfield. My name is David. Uh, it's a thrill to have you today, especially if you're here for the first time, whether here in the, in the chapel or upstairs uh, in the Well Cafe. Um, I want you to know that we're not selling spots in our service uh, for, for insurance, uh, that we're not selling the naming rights for the chapel or the loft or anything like that. It's not going to be the AT&T loft next week. Uh, but that... I share that with you because I think it's a perfect illustration of what we're talking about in this series, five dumb things uh, that people do to mess up uh, their life. Uh, before we dive in, I, I want to say just kind of a, a quick word, something that, that just came up. Uh, I, we had a retreat with our staff a couple weeks ago, and one of the things that we talked about is the changing world in which we live and how the way that we do life because of technology uh, is changing. The way we interact as a community, the way we develop relationships, the way that a church is able to make an impact beyond the scope of a physical location. That's changing, and the church is trying to figure out what to do about that. So one example of that is what we're doing here with, with the Well and the Well Cafe. We have a whole service upstairs. They're, they've got a band up there that's led them in worship. They're now receiving the message uh, from here. Through the magic, magic of technology, uh, I'm able to preach four services, even though I only preach three times, which, which we appreciate that we're able to include additional people uh, in, in our service. Today, this is new. We've never done this before, but there's a cell phone sitting up on the ledge uh, there in our, in our AV area. Uh, uh, tell me the name again. Brett. Brett is serving in Afghanistan. Brett's on the other end of that call. Um, he usually watches um, online and is having issues connecting. And so today uh, we have a service here in the chapel. We have a service upstairs uh, in the loft. And we have a service on the other side of the world in Afghanistan. And I'm a little overwhelmed by that, but that's, that's pretty cool. So we're going to pause for just a moment, and uh, Brett, you're joined by about 350 other uh, brothers and sisters uh, who are thinking about you now, uh, thinking about uh, your safety and your life, and so we're going to say a prayer for Brett. Let's, let's join together in that. God, we know that you are big, bigger than we can imagine, that this world belongs to you and, and our lives belong to you. Every person who's here today in the chapel, every person who is gathered today in the loft and, and, and even for Brett, Lord, on the other side of the world, we, we pray your blessing on him. We pray that you will protect him and keep him safe. And we pray, Lord, that, that in this season, as he is separated from his family, that he will know in a very real way not only your presence and your love, but also our love and our prayers and our affection for him. God, bless him and keep him in Jesus' name. Amen. That's pretty cool. Okay. Um, so dumb things. We've been talking about the idea. Uh, one of the reasons I shared that commercial with you is because I think it's a perfect illustration of dumb things that we are all capable of doing. Everything that, that is featured there is something that, at least for me, I could see myself uh, doing. Perhaps you could as well. It's actually the genius of the campaign is it's you're a human being. You, you do dumb things, and so you need insurance to protect you from the dumb things that you might do. Would you like to hear the dumb thing I did last week? Okay, a few people said yes, so we'll go ahead and, and go forward. So if you were here last weekend, you heard Mike preach here in, in the well and in the, in the well cafe. We did a swap. Mike is our senior pastor if you're brand new. We have seven weekend services and we split those. So he preaches half of them, I preach half. And every once in a while we swap. 
he'll preach the services I normally do, and I'll preach the services that he normally does, which is different for us. We get to uh, interact with the other half of our congregation, which is kind of cool. It's a different rhythm to our weekends. I don't preach Saturday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday afternoon. I do it all in one shot, Sunday morning, three services in a row. It's also different because I preach our two traditional services, which Mike usually preaches on the weekend, and I don't do that very often. So I get to wear my robe and, and be up there with the choir and the orchestra and that, in that traditional setting that I'm not frequently a part of. And so when I do that, one of the things that I'm not used to is preaching in my robe. If you've never seen the black robe, it's very impressive. I'll just tell you that. It's a very impressive piece of material. Uh, it, it, and it's got the sleeves is really what defined the robe because they're just huge. They're, they're big, poofy sleeves. And nothing in my wardrobe is, is quite like that, okay? So I'm not... <laughs> I'm not used to, to the big sleeves, you know, when I'm, when I'm preaching and I hold out the arms and it's just big arms. It, that's just not normal for me. And so at the end of the 815 service, the first service last weekend, after I had just preached on dumb things, okay, keep that in mind, I went down to the bottom step, which is right next to the altar. And of course, on the altar, you know, you have two altar candles that the acolytes have come up and lit. And I'm closing out the service, you know, just sharing the the invitation. And if you're a guest, you can go to Connection Central, which is straight out the back. This is the directions there in the sanctuary. And then if you have a a concern that you would like to share with a pastor, right over here in our gallery, out that way, you can connect with one of those pastors. And, And so I'm holding my arm out, and I'm standing right next to the altar. And there's like this split second moment of clarity where I think to myself, I'm about to light myself on fire. In front of the entire congregation, after having just preached on not doing dumb things. Luckily, I didn't do it. I, I, didn't, I didn't light myself on fire, but it was so close. Now, do you have the capacity to do dumb things? Yes. The answer is yes. You're very smart people. You understand that. We all have that capacity. And so we, we start, each, each message of this series, we start from this vantage point that we all have this capacity. We all need help. We all need help. We all need wisdom. We all need insight. Uh, We need some understanding of our life, of of the road that we're on. This is how Jesus said it. Jesus said, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the path that leads to life. And only a very few find it. And so we come to this place. And part of what we do is we say, God... We want to enter through that narrow gate. We want to stay on that narrow path. So guide us, lead us, give us wisdom, give us insight, give us direction. Because we need you. We need your help to stay on the path that leads to life. That's where we start from as we, as we begin this last message uh, of this series. Now, I want to reset, if I can, around where we started five weeks ago in the first message of the series. And this is the quote that I share with you from a book called The Gift of Imperfection by Brene Brown. This is what she says. A deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all women, men, and children. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. When those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, we hurt others, and we get sick. There are certainly other causes, but the absence of love and belonging will always lead to suffering. Now, in that first weekend, I I reminded you that Brene Brown is not a theologian. She doesn't write from any particular faith perspective. She is an academic researcher, 
And in her study of human beings, what she has come up with, what she has discovered, her thesis is that the absence of love and belonging in all people always leads to suffering. The absence of love, the absence of belonging always leads to suffering. So we talked about that for all humanity, fear is the universal enemy. We all know what it's like to be afraid. We all know what it's like to to, to worry about our lives, to worry about the lives of those that we love. We all know what it's like to to feel insecure, to to worry that our life is not as significant as we want it to be, to worry about job security and financial security, to worry about our kids, to worry about their safety. We all know that experience of fear. We've all dealt with that. But we said that part of what Jesus comes to do is to set us free from fear. To give us the gift of love and acceptance, belonging and value. That's the gift that is made available to us in Jesus. That's the gift that Jesus wants to give to you and to all of us, to all the world. The gift of love and acceptance and belonging. So we said one of the dumb things that we do with our life is we waste our life looking for something that God wants to give to us. Free. We look for love. We look for acceptance. We look for belonging. We, we, we chase after these things when these are the things that God, God wants to give to us. That's why Jesus came, to give us these gifts. So I want you to hold those thoughts in your head as we turn to Galatians 5 and hear these words. Galatians 5, verse 1. And by the way, verse 1, this is one of the scriptures that you should just memorize. It's something you should hold on to. Uh, Paul says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So again, the gift that is made available to us in Jesus is the opportunity to be set free from fear. This enemy that is the enemy of all humanity, this sense of of lacking that we have in our life that we don't fit in, that we don't belong, that we are not loved, God has come to set us free from that. And the reason is, this sounds a bit redundant, but, but follow me here, the reason is, is because God believes in freedom. So you might say it this way, God hates slavery. In whatever form it might present itself, you can, be, you can be sure. If you see that anywhere, whether it's physical slavery or the, the bondage of an idea, an institution, God is fundamentally opposed to that. God hates slavery. God believes in freedom. And because God believes in freedom, God has come in Jesus to set us free. Now, the people who received this message from Paul are people who had heard this message before. Paul had spent time with them. He'd been a pastor to them. He'd shared life with them. He'd been in their community. This is a sermon that they had already heard. They had not only already heard about what Jesus had come to do, they'd responded to it. They had said, hey, this gift of freedom, that sounds pretty good. I want some of that. I want to be a part of this. I want my life to be connected with Jesus. And so a community of faith had started around this idea that Jesus has come to set us free. So you might be led to believe, okay, well, these are people, they've heard Paul. I mean, Paul, he must have been an incredible preacher. He wrote half the New Testament. They're all good. I mean, they're ready to go. They've said yes to the message. They've responded to it. They started their new life in Jesus. You would kind of assume that... Man, they got it all figured out. They must be just just fine. But notice the warning that Paul offers. Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. But then he says, and so you must stand firm and not go back to the old way of living. 
To not go back to the life that was defined by fear and sin and death. Christ has set you free because Christ wants you to be free. And your job now is to stand firm. Don't go back. Don't look back. Don't regress at all to the old way of thinking, to the old way of living. Stand firm in your freedom and protect yourself from going the opposite direction. So there's this warning that Paul offers that, that, that you've heard this before and yes, you're good and a new life has started, but don't go back. He's warning them because he knows that there is something working among them that is leading them back to their old way of living. Would you like to know what it is? Guys, you're going to love this. This is great. Okay, verse 2, it says this. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Now, there's a word in there that you probably didn't use in a conversation this week. I'm guessing that it didn't come up. Um, and, and there may be some of you who are new to the scriptures, and you're thinking to yourself, I know what that word means now. It must have meant something else in the days of Paul, because surely he's not talking about what I think he's talking about. You know, that thing that sends dads running out of the room faster than a dirty diaper in the, you know, the first few days of a, a young boy's life. That's actually exactly what Paul is talking about. He is talking about circumcision. And, and now that we're all weirded out, let me just explain why this is such an issue that Paul felt like he needed to address it. So prior to the time of Jesus, going back to the time of Abraham, the way in which a young boy was marked as a part of the covenant community was circumcision. Now, why did God pick that? You can ask him later. I'm not going to get into that. But that was the expectation. That was the law. If you were going to be a part of the Jewish family of faith and you were a young man, you went through a minor procedure. You went through circumcision. Okay? Now, the people who received this letter from Paul were not raised as Jews. They were Gentiles. They weren't raised according to the same customs and traditions of the Jewish faith. Therefore, the men of this community had not gone through the same rites of passage that the Jewish boys had done. And and so there's the issue. So Paul had come and he'd shared this message. And the message was, God has come to set you free from your fear. God has come in grace to set you free from the old life and to invite you to live in a new life. God has done this because God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And this gift of grace, this gift of new life is yours if you want it. It's free. All you have to do is say yes. All you have to do is say yes. And many in that community had responded to that message. They'd said yes. They'd said yes and that grace had started to work in them and transform their lives. It started to transform the way that they talk, the way that they interact with one another, the way they saw themselves at work in the world, the, the purpose of their life, the significance of their life. It started to change them. It, it, it fostered in them a new community, a new way of living. And then Paul had left. And Paul had left because that's what Paul did. He traveled around to different communities and he would preach to them and share with them. And then he would go to a new community to share the good news with them. And when Paul left, what happened was someone came up behind Paul to lead that community, to share with that community. And this is essentially the message that had been shared with them. Uh, The message had been, you know, Paul did really well here. He was a great communicator. Everybody knows how dynamic and aggressive Paul is and what a great teacher he is. And and he did some good things among you. He 
said some, some great things to you. He talked about this grace thing, and he did a really good job of that. But, but Paul kind of told you a story that was too good to be true. So there's a few extra things that you're actually going to have to do if you really want to be in. Like if you want to get your card officially punched and make sure everything's okay and, and, you're, and you're all the way in, then there's a few other things you need to do. You need to kind of regulate your diet according to the Jewish customs. Oh, and by the way, guys, there's going to be this, just, it's just minor, it's not that big a deal, but you're going to have to go through this minor procedure if you really want to be in. So this is what had happened. Someone had come up behind Paul and it said, Paul told you a message and he did great work, but Paul told you something that was too good to be true. Grace actually isn't as amazing as you think it is. There's a few extra things that you got to go through, which prompted Paul to write this letter because he was upset about that. Upset not for the same reasons that you or I would be upset. Not upset because someone had questioned him, uh, had the audacity to question the great Paul, the great apostle, But because for Paul, this undermined the truth of the gospel. To add any restrictions, any regulations, any laws beyond simply saying yes and receiving this free gift, for Paul, it undermined everything. This was the hill on which Paul was willing to die on because for him, every thought, every word, every deed was guided by this idea that while we were yet sinners, while we were just a bunch of mess. Christ came and died for us because he loves us. He wants to give us this gift and it is totally free. It is totally free to anyone who says yes and says, God, I want to receive that gift. For Paul, that was everything. Everything hinged on that truth. Nothing could be added to that. Grace was enough and grace actually was, according to Paul, as amazing as it sounded. You couldn't water it down. You couldn't minimize it. This was the gift that God had come to bring to all humanity. And for Paul, he was willing to die on this hill. And so he says in verse 7, he says, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? You were running a good race. In other words, everything that had started in your life and in your community, it was going so well. You'd received grace and grace was starting to do the work of grace in your life. Grace was starting to transform you. Grace was starting to lead every single moment of your life. You were beginning to see every single moment of your life as a gift that God has made available for you. That every breath that you take is another gift that God has given to you. You were beginning to live a life totally funded by grace. You were running a good race. Everything was going so well. What? went wrong. What went wrong? Everything, everything was going so well. The Christian life often starts like that. It starts with energy and excitement, enthusiasm. It starts with, with hearing this word about grace and really capturing the amazing nature of it and allowing that grace to begin to fund and fuel the life that we are living. You often see this tremendous transformation in the beginning and often you find yourself in the place alongside that person saying, you were running such a good race. What happened? Where, where, where did you go wrong? 
Where did you find yourself veering off the path? How did you move from the narrow path to the, to the, to the wide one? What was it that took you off the path that leads, that leads to life? For four weeks, we've talked about things that we do to mess up our life. Think decisions that we make. And if you've missed the first four weeks, you could probably come up with a list that's very similar to the four that we've shared with you. It's not rocket science. The things that people do to mess up their life. But in this week, what we're talking about are things that we stop doing. And this is what it is. We stop believing in grace. That's where we go wrong. We stop believing in grace. We experience some disappointment in our life. And it allows a gap to begin to be built between ourselves and the Savior who has come to love us and set us free. That disappointment often festers into a seed of discouragement that's planted in our hearts. And and that gap between ourselves and God widens even further. To the point that we don't talk to him anymore. Because for some reason we think he doesn't want to talk to us. We allow our sense of what we lack to define who we are and also define the way we feel like God feels about us. We stop believing in grace. We, we trade a story that sounds amazing for something that is less than that. And what we do is we turn to things like the Galatians turn to. We, we turn to things that might justify ourselves before God. And we, we almost live as if to say to God, God, we would prefer if you just, just give us a test. You know, five points for every prayer that we pray. Ten points if we read our Bible in the morning. When we forgive someone, we should get 20 points, unless it's like one of those extreme cases, and that's like 100 or 200 points. If we wake up on a morning like this, and it's raining and really sleeting outside, and we still go to church, that's like 1,000 points. I mean, to get up and go. <laughs> when we do a good deed, when we, when we share, share something with someone else, when we give, that's, that's, that's 500 points. We would love to live in a relationship where that's, that's how it works. Because those are the kind of relationships that we can understand. It's hard for us. It's hard for us to accept that at the end of the day, the fundamental truth of our existence is that God loves us and sees each of us as his sons and daughters, no matter what we do, where we go, or who we become. While we were yet sinners, the scriptures say, Christ died for us. Which means that when you were still in the mess, whether it was the mess of yesterday or the mess of today, Christ died for you. And he did that for one reason and one reason only. Because he loves you. He loves you. More than anyone has ever loved you in your life. He treasures you. More than anyone has ever treasured you in your life. And nothing will ever change that. So stand firm, Paul says, and don't regress. Don't trade a story of amazing grace for something that is less than that because this story is true. While you were yet a sinner, while life was still a mess, Christ died for you because he loves you. This is how uh, Pastor Mike said it in a sermon several years ago that I have held on to partly because when I find myself experiencing failure or when I find that voice of fear reminding me that I failed before, you're probably going to fail again. 
when I wonder, am I a good enough husband? Am I a good enough father? Am I a good enough pastor? When I find myself in that place where those questions are stirred in my heart again, this is what takes me back to the, to the good place. This very simple idea that when it comes to following Jesus, the only way to fail is to quit. When it comes to following Jesus, the only way to fail is to quit. And so Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. This is a gift that God wants to give to you. So stand firm and don't quit. And don't listen to that voice that says, well, you didn't live up to expectations. Don't listen to that voice that says you're never going to be that person that you really want to be. Don't listen to that voice that says, well, you're never quite going to make it. Don't listen to that voice that says, well, you messed up before, you're probably going to mess up again. Don't listen to that voice that says, well, God sees you a certain way and you've got to meet a, uh, you've got to score a certain number of points. And if you don't do it, you might as well not come to church because God's not even going to be excited that you're there. Don't listen to those voices that float around your head that, that plant in you all sorts of lies about your relationship with God because grace actually is as amazing as God says it is. It's that good. It's that good. So stand firm and don't go back to fear and slavery and death because that's not what your father wants for you. That's why he's come to give you grace. So here's what I want to invite you to do as we, as we conclude our service. I want to invite you to do what for some may feel uncomfortable. It may be something that used to be something you would do with ease, but for whatever reason, there's a gap, there's a barrier that's been created. What I want to invite you to do is to talk to Jesus, the Savior who loves you, the Savior who came to give his life for you, the Savior who believes in you, and the Savior who treasures you. So I want to invite you just to close your eyes and join me in a spirit of prayer. And I want to invite you just to a moment of being still. I want to invite you to calm your heart. To take a few deep deep breaths. And I want to invite you to talk to him. Call him by his name. Because he knows your name. And if there is a gap today, if there is a a barrier today, tell Jesus about that. Name it for him. Be honest with him. And now listen to him.
listen to Jesus. Think about what a mother or a father would say to a child that they treasure and they love. And hear today those words from Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you are here. And I know, Lord, that today you, you, know, you know where the stumbling blocks are. You know where the barriers are. You know that stuff in our life, Lord, that leads us to shame. that fuels the voice of guilt and, and discouragement in our life. And Lord, I know that you hate those things. You want nothing more than to just destroy them, to cast them out of our life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to open up our hands and to let them go. So that we might talk to you again like we used to. And hear from you the way, the way we once did. Jesus, thank you. For coming for each and every one of us while we were still in a mess and inviting us to live a different life. A life where we know every moment that you love us and we belong. Give us today, Lord, a measure of that grace. In Jesus' name, amen.